Welcome to the Can Do MS podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Buxovedin. I live with MS and I'm also a clinician and MS researcher. This is episode 155, and today we're going to talk about biosimilar medications. We'll discuss what biosimilars are, how they're made, FDA standards, and what to ask your doctor. I'm happy to be having today's discussion with Dr. Derek Robertson, who's a neurologist and director of the MS division at the University of South Florida. Welcome, Derek. Thanks, Stephanie. I'm looking forward to a good conversation. Great. I wanted to first start by saying that Kendu MS does not endorse any particular treatment, but we do want to help educate everyone on this important topic because it could impact you or someone you love. The FDA recently approved the first biosimilar MS medication called Tyruco, which is a biosimilar of natalizumab or Tysabri. And Derek, I don't know about you, but this is something I had to spend a little time researching because while I know biosimilars are not new to medicine, they are new to MS. And I'll admit, I didn't know much about them until recently. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So uh, I've been taking care of patients with immunologic-based therapies for years and years and years, but this is uncharted territory for us as a field and um, me, me specifically. So I'm, I was happy to kind of dive into the medical literature and we'll unpack this as we go um, with, with our talk today. But uh, I've learned a ton and, I, and this is so timely that we're doing this. So I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Now, as you mentioned, some generic medications for MS are already available. That includes Copaxone or Glutyrum or Acetate, the generics Glitopa. We have generics for Gelinia or Fingolimod and for Tecfidera and Abagio. And so many of our listeners might already be taking a generic DMT or other generic medications for their symptoms or other medical conditions. And the first point we want to stress today is that biosimilar medications are not the same as generics. There are key differences in the way that they're made and the way that they're developed. So we're going to spend today's episode talking about how they're made, the process of FDA approval, and their safety and effectiveness. So Derek, could you start by telling us how biosimilar drugs are made? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great launching point here because uh, there are some differences that, again, I think we should unpack um, as we get going. But I think the first thing is to understand that biologics have, uh, and there's a, there's a bunch that we use to help our, our patients that have MS. So just to list a few, so natalizumab or, or tysabri, ocrelizumab or ocrevus, ublituximab is a newer one um, and uh, called Briumvi. So, and again, many others. So we, we're very familiar, I think, with helping our patients and patients over years and years and years for the treatment of their, of, of their multiple sclerosis have come to understand that biologics are very effective and generally really safe and they have pros and cons. Um, and so that is, I think, the good starting point is that that would be considered the reference drug and biosimilars are made from those reference drugs. So kind of as a, as a comparator, let's say. They're usually infusions or injectable medications, um, and it takes a long time, upwards of close to a decade, for them to kind of navigate through uh, proving kind of their, their safety and, and then sometimes uh, efficacy. But again, um, with the reference drug or that biologic being kind of their comparator that they have to be similar to, again, biosimilar. So how they're made. So they're made by reproducing, growing copies of specifically engineered living cells in a carefully controlled facility. It's a complex system. It's developed with the, the use of proteins that make up the drug. Then their growth can sometimes take several weeks. It's constantly being monitored. 
then it's extracted, purified, and then the final biologic drug, drug is obtained. So for comparison, so smaller things like say aspirin can be very tiny and are made up of things called atoms that can be on the order of 20, 30 atoms, something like that. Whereas these complex uh, medications, biologics, um, and then biosimilars can be on the order of 25 plus thousand uh, atoms. So again, often much, much more complex to, to make, which is again, why that sometimes up to a decade uh, would be kind of what that would look like making these. Manu again, they're manufactured using living cells. So it's impossible to guarantee that each batch will be identical, but that's how it is now with, with current biologics. So that's same with biologics as it'll be for, for biosimilars. Um, and that these small differences are kind of built into the, they're baked into the, to the meal. So they're, 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 they're already that way with biologics and they will be that way with, with, uh, with biosimilars. Great. Thanks for that overview. It certainly sounds like a more complicated process. So how does that compare to making a generic medication? Well, that's the million dollar question. And this is, I think, what I've struggled with. That the, the best way I've, because I've used generics for years and years to help uh, uh, lots and lots of patients, not just with their MS, but for high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or um, to help with symptomatic medication relief with things like muscle spasms and and nerve pain. We're quite familiar with the use of generics. We encourage it in our practice. I'm a huge fan of it because it can help kind of rein in healthcare costs for both the system, but also the individual patient making medications more affordable. Um, but there are differences between generics and, and, and biosimilars. Um, I think the best analogy that I've, that I've heard is that it's kind of, so generics would be like uh, uh, making a car, car assembly line. So Tires are the same, the body of the body's the same, the engine's the same. So what rolls off the, the, the production line is a full car. And that generics would use that same type of process using all the same type of parts to make a car that is essentially a facsimile of, of the branded uh, medication. Um, and that's the generic process. Since we're talking about living cells and biologics and biosimilars, it's different. So biologics, uh, and, then, and then by definition, biosimilars would be more like, and I, I live in Florida, so the analogy that one of my friends uh, used was like an, or like an orange tree, particularly like an orange grove. So you have lots and lots of planted orange trees, and then over time, they start producing fruit, but the branches are a little different. How many oranges come from one or the other, where they are in the tree. So it had time to be cultivated. And so the, the end product is still very tasty oranges, but kind of how we got there is going to be different in that grove by an order of magnitude. Every tree is going to look a little different. The end product is still the reference range of an orange is still the same. So that, that made it kind of crystallize in my brain. And I, I can see that facsimile of a car coming off the assembly line, consistent, reproducible, identical, for lack of a better term, whereas there could be some slight differences with the finished product of orange trees in an orange grove and the oranges that come from those. So I think that analogy kind of made it some to me is that, that that's the slight difference because one is living cells and one is facsimile and kind of made in a lab. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant way of putting it. So what standards must biosimilars meet and how are they evaluated by the FDA? 
Yeah, yeah. So the FDA is uh, is very instructive on this process. So when I was re- researching kind of biosimilars as they're kind of getting into the the, the field that I help with uh, patient care with with MS, I wanted to understand well what what does that process look like? And thankfully, and not surprisingly, it's it's pretty rigorous. Um, and so biosimilars as a biologic product have a very similar pathway um, to generics. It actually just seems to be slightly more rigorous. And I, I viewed that as actually as a positive. The FDA will only approve biosimilar medication if it has the same mechanism of action of, of what, again, that reference medication would be, the biologic, the route of administration has to be the same, the dosage form has to be the same, the strength has to be the same, and its indication has to be identical compared to the, the reference drug. Um, and there was a law that was passed in 2009 that biologic medications must be demonstrated to be biosimilar if the data shows the medication is highly similar to that of already approved biologic um, medication, has no clinically meaningful difference in terms of safety, purity, and potency of the reference medication, and that the proposed biosimilar is expected to produce the same clinical results. So again, pretty high bar, but that's where the bar needs to be for us to feel comfortable having conversations with patients and then using it to help treat their their chronic condition. Absolutely. The stakes of MS are incredibly high, so I completely agree. Rigorous processes do definitely put my mind at ease too. Now, in the same vein, are biosimilar drugs as safe and effective as brand biologics? Well, the, that's where this conversation is leading, and I and I sure hope so. So again, not having experience myself yet prescribing these drugs, I can't speak to well, my experience for years and years using these medications. There's a, there's a comfort in that once we fast forward a handful of years um, to be able to to use that that your own kind of clinical experience, um, and so that does give me a pause if I'm if I'm being honest. Having said that, that what we just talked about. So that biosimilar pathway approval through the FDA with that high bar being the safety, the purity, the potency, it's got to be proven in a series of tests and trials performed by the pharmaceutical manufacturing company that's that's bringing the biosimilar through that process it has to be similar, biosimilar to that reference product. And if it's not, it won't get approved. And so again, since we have that regulatory body that helps maintain that standard, that gives me comfort. And again, when my clinical experience is robust enough to be able to talk to that, that'll be where I drive conversations with patients about, well, I've had patients on these medicines for a long time now, and they've done well. So until that day comes where I can reference that, I'm, I'm comforted by the fact that there is that, that rigorous approval process. That's great. Thank you for sharing your perspective. So brand name biologic drugs, often what we call black box warnings or serious, potentially life-threatening side effects that need to be watched for with regular checkups, with their neurologists or blood tests and or MRIs. So will biosimilar drugs have the same strict safety standards once they're released onto the market? Yeah, so the short answer is absolutely that they will. And again, that is on both sides of that of that conversation. So the comfort level with a healthcare provider, um, understanding the science, and then wanting to use the medication, um, it, that comfort level would need to be there. That there's safety mechanisms to help our patients. But equally, if not more important, is that from the patient's perspective, is that those safeguards are there for their for their benefit. And so when medications have black 
box warnings, that's serious and that we need to know that as healthcare providers, distill that down into a, uh, a meaningful way where patients can understand what that means for the medication, whether it's extra lab monitoring requirements, um, you know, extra clinic visits to assess. Um, sometimes there's these things called RINs programs where there's extra monitoring requirements, not just for the prescriber of the medication, the doctor or the, the nurse practitioner or the PA, but also um, from the patient's perspective and education piece, the pharmacies that dispense the medication, sometimes the infusion centers themselves that are um, uh, administering the medications, there's extra um, requirements. So all of that is kind of baked into what's necessary to be able to have it be a biosimilar if those extra requirements are there. And so for the one that's going to be um, something we could start to use soon for, for patients with MS, um, the natalizumab biosimilar, Tyruco, that you mentioned, all of those safety monitoring requirements are going to be, um, again, in place. So the necessity of a, a REMS program for that, having that be kind of having that black box warning and REMS requirement is, is crucial for us to feel comfortable prescribing it for our patients and then following them over time while they're on that, that, that type of therapy. Great, thank you. So as we've already mentioned, biosimilars are new to MS, but they've been used worldwide for other purposes, like for treating cancer and other autoimmune diseases. In the United States, less than 2% of all the prescriptions written in the country are biologic medications. But that 2% accounts for over a third of all drug spending in the country, which is mind-blowing. Everyone with MS knows that the medications to treat it are extremely expensive. So how much do biosimilar drugs cost compared to the brand? Well, the, the healthcare economic uh, driving forces behind cost of care for chronic illnesses is, is huge and MS being right up there. A lot of it, you're correct, driven by the pharmaceutical cost uh, of delivering that kind of healthcare. So I'm right there with you. Um, I think the jury's still out on its eventual impact in MS but I am cautiously optimistic. I, I, we've seen it um, starting anyway with the use of generics over years now in MS that it's potentially starting to help drive down some of that overall per patient cost to both the healthcare system, um, but also kind of the worry for patients being hit with kind of the sticker shock of what some of these medications can cost. It is undeniable when you reference those other, those other conditions, so cancers, other autoimmune conditions, where the use of biosimilars has been helpful at kind of saving the overall healthcare system. Um, the, the high amount that these medications uh, cost. Um, but again, it's eventual benefit in MS and what impact, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Me too. And hopeful that the introduction of biosimilars will allow more and more people to access these fabulous, wonderful disease-modifying therapies that we have. So what happens if somebody is already on a brand drug? Will their out-of-pocket costs change if they have to switch to a biosimilar? Yeah, I mean, what we can use as, as a knowledge for something, it's short, I, I don't know. Let me start there because I think that's a fair thing to say out loud because we're, we're going to learn together over the coming months to year or so um, when patients uh, are going to be on biosimilars for the use of, of their MS, kind of how that process plays out. Um, if we use generic experience in Medicaid, generic medication experience with MS patients as a, as a, a platform to learn from, um, it went pretty well in our experience. There was, 
some bumps along the way when you take care of lots of patients and, and they're kind of using generics uh, for the first time. There were some patients that had higher out-of-pocket costs. I don't know if that will translate for biosimilars, but when we fast forward over time, it has become very much a minor issue and that these medications end up being affordable and not a huge budget buster for, for patients. And, and selfishly caring a lot about my patients and what they pay out of pocket, that would be a deal breaker for me. If I, if I wanted to use a medication, it ends up having to be a biosimilar and it's gonna be a huge out of pocket cost for a patient, then it might as well not get approved. And I will we'll just have to revisit what else could we do to help take care of their MS. And so by necessity for us to feel comfortable as healthcare providers prescribing it, it's going to need to be something that is manageable and affordable for, for our patients. Absolutely. And the MS community has been fighting for a long time for those affordable medications. And I know it can be extremely scary to be told that you have to switch from a brand medication, maybe that's been working well for you for years, to a generic or to a biosimilar medication. And you've talked a lot about the facts of biosimilars. You've shared some of your personal experience and opinions. But overall, how do you view biosimilars? What's your takeaway? Yeah. So again, comforted by the by the the rigorousness of the approval process, cautiously optimistic that it won't be significantly more expensive for our patients. Lots of patients give us this horror stories already with branded medications, and so not letting that continue to play out could only be a good thing. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see that not play out as biosimilars become more of a mainstay to help our our, our patients. Um, so I, I, my view is generally favorable, but uh, I think it'll be a time will tell thing. But again, starting with knowledge of what they are is, I think, a good learning point for both us as future prescribers of these medications, doctors, PAs, nurse practitioners, um, and then helping to educate our patients about uh, how they can be helpful uh, for their disease. Definitely. Knowledge is the key. I know I learn something about MS almost every day, and it's a lot of work to keep up with the latest and what's happening in the field, but that's exactly why we're extremely thankful for you being here today to help us out with that. So lastly, any other advice about what someone should ask their doctor or consider before potentially switching to a biosimilar? Oh, that's my favorite question you've asked me so far. So my patients are my best source of information because uh, they, they, they help ask the questions that probably is on many, many, many more patients' minds um, than they're letting on. Um, and so I, I learned the most actually from, from my own patients. Um, and I think challenging your healthcare provider with questions is your job. It, it's the expectation uh, uh, really when, when you go for your clinic visits um, should be forcing us to be better healthcare providers to you. Um, and so this is the perfect example. There's going to be a knowledge gap. Be, be nice to your doctors and NPs and PAs because we're all learning this together to, for, to help you with, with your MS, um, but, but come in armed with the knowledge that you learned from us, uh, from Steffi and I today, um, and then keep an open mind of helping your healthcare providers learn along the way. I'll do my part. So I, I'm in a, an educational role and wear lots of different hats, teaching lots of different doctors in training, medical students, um, my colleagues around around the um, United States that, that CMS patients. So I'll be doing my part to help kind of help bring us all up to speed on what biosimilars mean to help our MS patients and patients should be doing the same. 
Thank you so much for your knowledge and your candor on this topic. We really appreciate your time here today. Sure thing. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Can Do MS podcast. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're interested in learning more about biosimilars, you can check out the Can Do MS article, Generics and Biosimilars, Seven Important Questions Answered. The link to this article is in the episode description. Lastly, we'd like to thank Sandoz, Biogen, and all our generous sponsors for their support of this episode of the Can Do MS podcast. Until next time, be well and have a great day.